0: Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. This is the monster from the swamps, Regis Rugeru program. It hey, was up. This is King Carlos Conina, former IBF world champ.
1: This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian, and your people's champ.
2: This is Charlie Edwards flyweight champion of the world
1: this is fast eddie chambers and you're listening to the box Hard podcast with my main man joey cosmo
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 262 of the Boxar Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by my counterpart. It is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing, my man? Welcome once again.
1: I'm good, my man. I'm good. Enjoying being on the show again.
2: Every single week, it seems, uh, which is brilliant, obviously, to have you here, um, you know, doing this show doing all the other shows, you seriously feel like a piece of furniture now. Um, anyways, moving on, jumping into the review part, which I'm going to start with, then I'm going to go into the, uh, I think I'm going to do review, then bring in the sole guest on this week's show, then we'll, we'll start part two with the news part, then the uh, the the preview part, and then, yeah, that'll basically be it. We're not going to be doing any lockdown knockdown this week. That'll be back, I guess, um, you know, in sorry Eddie would you say maybe the
1: following week maybe maybe after whatever yeah
2: Yeah, we'll slot it in somewhere Um, but yeah we'll we'll, like I say do the review part now then I'll probably find the quiz question for Eddie then uh, bring in the sole guest and then of course to to see out the show the, the preview part and the news Anyways, let's start with the review part. I'm going to start here at the Falcon Club in Minsk, Belarus. This one was last Thursday, um, the 15th of October, so a week a week ago today. Um, Edward Troyanovsky, former world champion, topped the card. It was an Al Siesta show. Shout out to Al Siesta, friend of the show. Um, he put a card on, like I say, in Belarus. Edward Troyanovsky, former world champion. I think he was the IBF world champion. 28-2 and is his record record. Um, you know, going into this fight here, against a very tough kind of journeyman, really, called Reynold Garrido. Garrido went into the bout with a record of 25 wins, 27 losses, and three draws. It ended up being a majority decision in favor of the former world champion, Troyanovsky. but it just goes to show, um, <laughs> you know, Reynold Garrido comes to fight. That, 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 you know, everyone knows that anyway, but he proved it here. To have a real close fight with a former world champion is just amazing for Garrido. On the undercard, Dmitry Chudinov, 21-6 and 6 with three draws. Not the better of the two Chudinov brothers. That that appears to be Fedor Chudinov. But anyway, Dmitry Chudinov, um, he got in with a Brit. Of course, we know last time um, Fedor Chudinov boxed a Brit by the name of Umar Sadiq um and and you know Chudinov managed to win the fight it was it was close though and here um Dmitri Chudinov lost a unanimous decision over 8 rounds he pretty much got completely shut out by a guy who I'd never actually heard of until now called Jermaine Brown perhaps one to watch for the future 9 and 0 from Kingston in London which isn't far from me at all um so I'm happy to know about him uh, moving out now to a card that took place in Tanzania. This is quite bizarre. Um, Prince Patel, a very controversial flyweight, now twenty-three and two with a draw. It was for the vacant WBO. Uh, Africa Superflyweight title and the vacant WBO Global Superflyweight title, he boxed Innocent Everest 10-1 and 1 with two draws. His one loss came to Prince Patel. These two guys boxed last year. Prince Patel was able to stop him in two rounds. It was up at Bantamweight I believe. They had the rematch. They both lost some pounds and, and did it at Superflyweight. However, this time Prince Patel lost a, a a decision. I think it was a ten round or something like that. It could have been twelve, but um, yeah, Prince Patel loses to a guy he knocked out in two rounds last year. Bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. But again, it is. Prince Patel we're talking about here. Moving out now to the White Sands Treatment Center in Plant City, Florida, USA. Just one fight to mention. Uh, return to the ring of Ryan Bluechip Martin. He's now 24-1. He made quick work of Hevinson Herrera. Um, a first round KO there for Martin. Herrera's now 25-19 and with a draw. He's been stopped, I think, 14 times, so he doesn't. Uh you know, he doesn't he doesn't seem to go the distance too much in his losses, but a first round knockout can't get any better than that for Ryan Martin. He needs to step up though, of course. Moving out now to the east of England arena in Peterborough, Cambridgeshire, United Kingdom, flying through this it seems. Um, I'm going to start with the undercard. This card was absolutely full of upsets. I'm going to start with the undercard. Ellie Scottney, um, a girl from well, I say a girl, a lady from from Catford in London. Um, she made her debut. It was kind of you know long awaited, I guess. She was supposed to box before, then it got you know it got put off and stuff like that. She took on Beck Connolly. Who is a bit of a legend in her, you know in her own right? Three and seven going in now. Three and eight. Bet Connolly lost on points over six rounds, by the way. Um, but Bet Connolly is, if I'm not mistaken, you know, a part-time boxer. Obviously, I think she also um, works in the army. Um, I think she's also a single mother of three or four kids. So um, she is a champion in her own right, but it wasn't to be her night. She was down once in the third round, and she was cut um, on her right eye in the fifth round. So quite an easy win, really, for Ellie Scottney, who Eddie Hearn obviously promotes, and he speaks real highly of her. He says he believes she can become a world champion within just eight fights, which is, which is, uh, I know it's female boxing and stuff like that, but that's still a big achievement, you know, Ellie Scottney, who recently handed in her notice to leave her, um, her her job where she worked at B and Q, which, um, Eddie, you're not going to know what B and Q is, but it's like a home improvement kind of hardware store, if you like. So, um, yeah, quite interesting. Um, yeah, also on that card, Kane Baker, 13 and seven going in, he retired, um, Last week, I think it was. He had a fight a couple of weeks ago. He lost. It was a close fight and he decided to retire. However, his phone rang. He picked up the phone. Do you want to fight on about two days notice against this guy called Meshak Spear, who was 5-0 and undefeated, guy from Liverpool, um, who practically, if I'm if I'm getting it right... Begged Tony Bellew to manage him. He's, you know, he was looking for a chance to get out of the gutter he was in. If I'm not mistaken, Tony Bellew said, "All right, I'm going to manage you." So he managed. He managed the guy. Became, you know, became uh, part of his management team, and um, he got him a chance here because, of course, Peter Fury failed the coronavirus test. Uh, the lady that he trains was pulled off the card. She missed her chance to box for a for a vacant world title, which was a real shame. So that fight was lost on the card and in stepped the undefeated Meshach Spear 5-0 and from Liverpool managed by Tony Bellew gets in against Kane Baker who retired last week and, um, you know, he, he came out of retirement, and Kane Baker wins a an upset over six rounds on points there. Baker was actually cut on his left eye in the second round, but it was a good fight. I mean, he deserved to win, Kane Baker. I was going to say almost a shout-out. That's, that's going a bit far, but Kane Baker deserved to win. It was good to see the right man get the decision, and Meshak Spear, you know, he'll have to come again. Um on the undercard, in another upset here, Joe Laws, who was 9 0. He likes to talk a lot about the time he apparently went to um, a gym in America and really uh, gave you know a bit of a hiding to Devin Haney, which some people are very spe- uh, skeptical of. They're not quite sure that Joe Laws was able to beat up Devin Haney. Joe Laws. Pretty much unproven. Devin Haney, one of the very best lightweights in the world. But anyway, apparently that's what happened. Um, he took on a guy called Rylan Charlton, who no one had ever seen. He'd never boxed on TV before. He was 5-0 and with a draw. He'd been boxing on small hall shows. And Rylan Charlton absolutely battered Joe Laws. Joe Laws down once in the first round, twice in the third and uh, that was that was it. A KO in three rounds for Ryland Charlton. I'd like to see him in another fight. He looked real strong. And Joe Laws tried to get double figure wins, but he's now nine and one, and it looks terrible there because you can't be you know you can't be talking about beating up people like Devin Haney and sparring and then losing to a guy. Uh, like this who no one had ever seen before which is uh, shocking anyway another upset on the card Kez Ashfak the undefeated Olympian he was 8-0 going into the fight he took on Mark Leach who in his own right was a real good amateur but I don't think he really reached the highs that Ashfak reached in the amateurs but Mark Leach has a professional 14-1 and with a draw going in um, once again, just too strong, you know, just like I guess Ryland Charlton in the fight I just mentioned against Joe Laws. Mark Leach was too strong for Ashfak. He had him over in the fourth and the seventh round, but he ended up um Fack, you know, getting up both times and seeing out the you know, the fight. It went the full ten round. Uh, you know, the, the full 10-round distance. And Mark Leach pitched a unanimous decision win, and rightly so, but that's another upset. Um, another strange one on the card as well. This wasn't an upset, but it was a very strange fight. Thomas Patrick Ward, 29-0. Um, he took on Thomas Asomba, who's 10-6 and 6 going in. I said it on last week's show. Thomas Patrick Ward, one of the best talents in the UK... I don't understand, though, why he keeps padding out his record. You know, he was a good amateur, real good amateur, turned over professionally, was boxing on tons of small horse shows, boxed in the States um, on an undercard, I can't remember whose undercard it was, you know, and, you know. He got a tough guy out there, I think, that night. He looked really good, but he failed to capitalize. He beat Jazza Dickens about four years ago. Jazza Dickens, right now, is in the Golden Contract Finals against Ryan Walsh. What has Thomas Patrick Ward been doing? Not much at all is the answer. Just padding out his record, and I don't understand why. Anyway, I was moaning because Thomas Asamba, he's a good fighter, but Thomas Patrick Ward should be way too good for him. Well, it, it didn't. It didn't really seem like that. To be completely honest, it was a very, very close fight. Thomas Patrick Ward um, was cut on his left eye by an accidental head clash, and it was a nasty cut. It seemed like his eyebrow was almost hanging off. Um, so yeah, the the, uh, the 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 doctor stopped the fight, and it went to the cards. It ended up being a technical draw over eight rounds of a scheduled ten. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was an awful performance from Thomas Patrick Ward. He seemed to try and trade with a Asamba. He completely, you know, abandoned his 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 normal style, and um, he looked terrible. Actually, it's it's almost as if perhaps he's you know he's burned out. Maybe you know he's had thirty fights. He could have he could have uh, you know been fighting for a world title perhaps five or six fights ago. He wouldn't have you know been completely outclassed against anyone he had all the talent and i thought he had all the talent before saturday night but in that fight there he was not the same guy i'm i'm hoping he hasn't missed the boat by padding out his record i don't know the the reason behind uh you know the fact he's been padding it out perhaps it's not down to him in most cases it usually isn't but um he hasn't had it easy he hasn't had big opportunities delivered for him on a plate so I'm not sure what's what's going on there, but perhaps we see a rematch. I know that both guys, I think, had done many, many rounds sparring. That can be quite difficult if you're. You know you're, you're facing a guy that knows you really well, but still, I expected way more from Thomas Patrick Walsh. So did everyone else. And the main event: Lewis Ritson twenty and one. This one was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. It ended in a split decision over twelve rounds in favor of Ritson against the former world champion Miguel Vasquez forty-two and ten. Now Vasquez, uh, Vasquez. um. Absolutely dreadful scorecards once again. I picked Lewis Ritson to lose the fight. I expected Miguel Vasquez to come in at I think about a six to one or seven to one underdog and pull it off. And absolutely everyone, aside from two of the judges, um scored the fight to Vasquez including Eddie Hearn who was the promoter of the show he of course is self quarantining because he failed a coronavirus test he was watching on TV from home he's done a post show interview and he says that the scorecards were dreadful and even his own fighter who he wants to back he says lost the fight so this is terrible i feel for miguel vasquez he's been um he, you know he's come over here twice in recent times and in both in both On both occasions, he has clearly won the fight. In the first occasion, it was against O'Hara Davies. O'Hara Davies was shaking his head at the decision when they announced him as the winner. He picked up Miguel Vesquez's hand and paraded around the ring saying, this guy won the fight, not me. That was real honest of him. Now he comes back and he completely wins against Lewis Ritson. I agree. It is shocking what's gone on there. And they've given the fight to Ritson. Obviously, the the terrible scorecard in question, especially, is Terry O'Connor's scorecard, in which he he scores about 117-111 to Ritson. Only giving Vasquez three rounds, when the majority of people gave Vasquez about 10 rounds, by the way. And um, some people even gave every single round to Miguel Vasquez. So... I wouldn't, if I was Miguel Vasquez, ever come back to Britain. Don't even come here for a holiday. Stay well away. Um, It's terrible. He's been mistreated. Lewis Ritson, obviously nothing against him at all. But I kind of feel like we saw his ceiling against Francesco Patera. And he's boxed a guy here, Vasquez, who's way past his best. And he lost the fight easily. So Ritson, you know, keep him away from Regis Progray. You know, Regis is my my guy, obviously. Uh, Ritson isn't. I've never spoke with Ritson before, so, you know, Progre is my guy in that one. But, you know, keep him away from Progre. It's, it's a dangerous, dangerous fight. He gets knocked out in that fight. And, um, you know, he he lost this fight hands down. It was absolutely dreadful. There's been pictures of the referee, uh, not the referee, the judge in question with the awful scorecard. Um, 117, 111. Terry O'Connor. There's a picture of him circulating the internet right now, of him mid-fight on his mobile phone. Mid-fight, he's sitting there. TV cameras can see this guy. He's sitting there. <laughs> you know, you know how 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 close judges sit to the ring. He's inches away from from the canvas. Even in you know with coronavirus and stuff like that, he's not sitting far back. He's sitting there right in the ring. And he's 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 clearly holding a mobile device in his hand during the fight. Now, I have actually seen the full clip because a lot of people just took a picture of him with the device in his hand. Apparently, he picks up the device for no joke about a third of a second. He literally looks at it and looks away that quick. So, I don't think it's as bad as it looks in that picture because you don't know how long he's had his hand and his phone. Uh, his hand and his phone. His phone in his hand but um apparently he did just glance just for such a short amount of time which he shouldn't do anyway but i don't think it's as bad as they're dressing it up to be but what is bad forget about the distractions the scorecard there's no you know there's no reason there's no explanation for that kind of scorecard and it's not the first time with Terry O'connor he's a repeat offender when it comes to this unfortunately and i don't see him you know being employed for much longer really by the British Boxing Border Control. They're gonna launch some kind of investigation into that. Um dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Um anyway, moving out now. I've been really on one this this podcast it would seem. Too much uh, too much Red Bull prior to this. Anyway, moving out <laughs> moving out now to the to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm going to fly through the undercard real quick. Not too much, really, to mention, aside from Alex Salcedo losing a unanimous decision over 10 rounds to Arnold Barbosa Jr. That one, of course, was for the vacant WBO international super lightweight title. Um, Barbosa Jr. down himself in the seventh round, but yeah, a unanimous decision win despite being knocked down. Um, and also on the undercard, just one that really, really impressed me, of course. Edgar Belanga, 14-0 and with 14 first-round knockouts going into the fight. He took on Lanell Bellows, a guy who had five losses, but he'd never been stopped in any of those five losses. 20 wins as well with with five losses and three draws, Lanell Bellows. Um, Edgar Belanga gets in there and just continues the streak. He's 15-0 and with 15 first-round KOs. And it was so impressive that he got this guy out there who'd never been stopped before. Um, that's a statement in itself. To knock a guy out who's never been stopped, that's a statement. But to knock the guy out in one round and continue your streak and make it 15 in a row, that's unbelievable. Perhaps, perhaps, this is just a theory of mine, he realized that Adelaide Bird was one of the judges and he decided he needed to end the fight as quick as possible and don't give her a chance of, of handing in a scorecard, especially not this week with the stuff that's been going on Terry O'Connor. Um, in, in uh, She's a Terry O'Connor anyway of, of, of the States, uh, the female Terry O'Connor of, 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 <laughs> of the United States. But anyways... Um, Shout out to Ed B- Edgar Belanger, man. Looks like he lives a really cool life because he knocked this guy out in a round. And on Monday morning, he was dancing with Snoop Dogg in a studio. So um, I envy him. He's, he's, living, he's living his best life for sure. Um, but the top of the bill, I'm going to come to you, of course, Eddie, because you are the, uh, the scientist on this podcast anyway. This one was for the WBA. The IBF and the WBO world lightweight titles. Vasily Lomachenko, fourteen and two now his record, and um, Teofimo Lopez sixteen and zero. Twelve round unanimous decision for Lopez. Um, we talked about it in length on last week's show, Eddie. One thing we but we didn't agree on on everything, but one thing we did agree on is that Teofimo Lopez would not outbox Lomachenko. How
1: wrong we were. Yeah, early, yeah. We worked kind of wrong, but not entirely. Well, for the first six rounds, I mean, man. For For the first six rounds. And you know what's funny about this whole thing was it was because of his power that he was able to do that. Because Lomachenko understood for the first, maybe not, he didn't probably intend to be six rounds in the hole, which he wasn't. But he didn't probably intend to wait that long to start getting offensive. You know what I mean he probably felt TFE most power and was like look I think I need to just wait a little bit longer before I put myself in position to get caught with a crazy counter punch and the what really impressed me the the whole the fight was was great there was just so many different things about it it was great but the entire fight was great and the thing that kind of upset me a little bit about having a great fight and a great night like that was this was the scorecards the scorecards ruins it almost all the time when there's a good fight because you can never... Um, obviously, they they can't agree, but the, the, what's worse is they all agreed. Even though I felt like Cefimo Lopez could have gotten the win, I honestly like the draw better, but I felt like he could have gotten the win. I wouldn't have, I'm wouldn't i not complaining that he won. I'm complaining about the scorecards. When you, and that just, makes sorry, overall... Just to, thing.
2: Just to just to quickly jump in, Eddie. When you say the scorecards... Do you mean all three, yeah. or do you mean the one that Julie Lederman turned in? She turned mainly in, the Julie. Yeah, she turned in um I, one one
1: one nine one oh nine, which is terrible. Yeah, right, right, but no, me, I didn't like any of them to be honest. I think eight to four was still too wide, but I mean, I guess you can, you know, at some of the early rounds, like maybe one of the early rounds out, I, I gave to um to uh, uh Lomachenko. I can see how maybe, eh, no, I don't want to get that to him. And I end up giving him seven to five. But um, eight to four, that's a little too wide for me. Nine to three, definitely too wide. Uh, uh, and, of course, 11 to one is absolutely outrageous, and she needs to really be looked at for that. Regardless, I mean, obviously, you can't never – actually look at the judge and say okay well we're going to investigate you and maybe turn this into a no contest because if you did do that then you got to go and question a lot of other fights a lot a lot of other worse decisions than the ones that was given on 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 saturday night so um but aside from all that my favorite part of the obviously of the show was the fight and not listening to or worrying about the judges but I just got a real, I got a whole new respect for Lomachenko. Already really respected his ability and everything he did. but I just, I don't think people really understand watching the fight just as it was, how he's so good at downloading information and, and really taking his time and being 100% professional about his game and understanding what's in front of him and understanding where to move and how to move and. When to use footwork, when to be close, when to be far away. As good as TFmo Lopez did that night, um, and I'm not taking anything away from what he did, I was even more impressed by what Lomachenko was doing. And I know most people are going to say, "Oh, he lost," or you know, at least it was close enough to where he could have lost, or you know, as a draw. And what did he do in the first half of the fight? Well, see, this is where most people miss it. And even I look at Tim, Tim Bradley's obviously knowledgeable about the sport he's a full world champion but there's even certain things that he missed about it and wasn't really focusing on maybe because he was a little biased towards the field which i can't be mad at him for you know we get we don't it's not often we get an opportunity to have our american guys out there like you know i mean well i can't say often there is often but to to actually be in position to be a little bit uh, uh uh lenient to our guys but anyway it was just the things that i was watching Lomachenko do in the first half of the fight, not even in the second half where he started, where it started to work, but just him feinting and and in the way he was feinting and, and how he was feinting, using his foot feints, using his look at using head feints, shoulder, everything, hand movements, all kinds of different things in one direction. To do one or two different things. One thing was to first to get the see if you can get the respect of Lopez. And Lopez was trying to, you know, he tried, he's trying he got the bravado. He's like, I'm not, I ain't taking a backward step. I'm coming at him. I'm on fire. So they say, okay, well, I guess this is not working that way. So what I'm gonna have to do is I'm gonna have to let him fall asleep at the will, Which means is he want him, he wants him to be so disconcerned with his with, with Lomachenko's offense because he wasn't throwing anything and he was doing more fainting than punching in the first half of the fight, so that he was almost numb to when, when he saw a reaction. So in the first half of the fight, he would give those feints and not throw a punch. But in the second half of the fight, he started to re, he started to say, okay, well, now I'm gonna put it to work a little bit. So he had been fainting and, and, and making moves all night long so much without throwing a punch that Lopez didn't even react when it was time to. And then by that time, he was so desensitized to Lomachenko's possibility of offense that he couldn't react anymore. And then, you know, with the pressure, as it started to get a little bit more, you know, a little more dangerous, like, you know, uh, Lomachenko started throwing a little more punches, started being obviously more active, you know, gradually winning, you know, started when he started winning rounds, in my opinion, in the seventh, that he started to also feel a little, not saying tired or weak or anything like that, but he started to feel a little bit of wind, a little bit of wind. You know what I'm saying? He had a little bit of pressure on him and a little bit of, of, uh, you know, Pressuring on you know on his head like what of what to do and how to react to this and what he needs to do to you know turn the fight back in his favor and it, you could start seeing that Lomachenko's plan which was to can almost keep him completely unaware of offense and that he's so unaware that he couldn't react and then he started to put it into play and that's why and something I want to mention too those feints from his uh from his uh right hand which is his jab hand. He was doing it so that he wouldn't he wouldn't pay attention or even think that the jab was a possibility. He was just thinking that oh it was going to be a re, uh, uh, maybe a feint and a straight left hand or a feint and then a shot to the body or a feint and then a, then a then a hook. Not so much to have the jab started because the jab is a quicker shot, right? It's a straight line, right? So if he faints and you know if he faints and throws a hook, there's still more time for him to react. But if he faints and throws a jab, there's very, very, very little time to re- to react. So over the course of the first half of the fight, all those faints had him, like I said, start falling asleep. And as soon as he started to get that jab off, if you watch the fight from seven on up, he could not block that jab at all. Lomachenko's jab was 100%, basically, at that point in, in the fight. And it was because of all of the downloading, all of the information that he pulled in and all of the all of the prep work that he did for that first half of the fight most people are going to say oh man man he ain't do nothing uh um was busting his ass blah 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 and i am like look you have to watch the fight as a whole you got to pay attention to the things that go down i'm not taking anything away from lopez lopez is a is a real guy like he's a real champion he's he's got a future without a doubt he's as good as anybody out there in my opinion his skills and his, his power and his ability to take a punch, all of those things are world-class in my opinion. But when you got a dude just like a machine, like like legitimately almost like a machine in front of you, dude been off for 14 months, still coming back in the ring, looking like that, even though in the first half, like I said, it took him a while, but damn, to coming back in the second half and start doing it to the point where I was like, man, is he going to stop this kid? I was. It was, like, shocking. I, I really, I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of fights, obviously, with Lomachenko, and I was at one of them in person, and I was always impressed, but this impressed me even more, and it was because of the professionalism. You know what I mean? It really it really shone, shined, shone through that night. He's really, really a special, a special talent. Obviously, uh, so is uh, Lopez, but it's just what I've seen from, um, from Lomachenko that really, 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 really pleasantly surprised me.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna give my analysis on, on the fight round by round. I, I scored it as well. Um, I agree with you on, on what you said originally, Eddie, that I think um, Lomachenko kind of felt the power of Lopez early on and he realized that he couldn't be reckless in not that he's reckless as as, as such, but he, he you know, he had a lot of respect for him after that point and it seemed like he kinda of wanted to wait, I guess until, you know, Lopez's shots didn't have that same snap on them before he could really, really put the pressure on, which is what it was. It was, it was. you know, he he had trouble getting to Lopez in, in the first half of the fight. Um, round one, a round. Nothing was really thrown from Loma at all at that point. Um, he just seemed to be having a look, really. Tiafimo wasn't overcommitting. He was just happy to pop the jab out here and there to keep his shape. Um, round two, a round where Lomachenko probably landed the best shots in that round. He picked he picked them nicely, but he only kind of landed about three or four punches in the whole round. So I, I just have to give it to Tiafimo on on his activity. Um, but I think some people did give that second to Loma. Round three, Tiafimo Lopez, for me, he he got that round again. Lomachenko's tricks were not working. Tiafimo wasn't falling into any traps. Lomachenko looked a little bit uncomfortable, in my opinion, there. And he, he looked like he was, dare I say it, almost running out of ideas already in round three. Um, round four Tiafimo for me in full control Lomachenko couldn't do anything with him round five Lomachenko you know had, had been on the back foot by that point pretty much for the whole fight Tiafimo did say ...in the build-up that Lomachenko couldn't fight going backwards. It almost seemed like he was right. Um, it, it seemed to be very easy for Tiafimo. Even the pace wasn't much of a problem. It, it was quite comfortable for him. And at this point, I did expect so much more from Lomachenko. We said last week um, you know, that, that Lopez couldn't outbox Lomachenko, like I say. And it seemed at this stage that he had no answers for Lopez. Round 6... A bit of a better round from Lomachenko, but still a very difficult um, difficult task, I think, to give him that round. So I gave the first six to Teofimo. So straight away, it's an uphill battle. And I will just add that all three of the judges gave uh Lopez the first seven rounds, by the way. That's just a little fact I'm gonna throw in. Um round seven, this is where I did give Lomachenko his first round. Um he was able to put Tiafimo on the back foot for a spell in the fight where uh I felt Lomachenko did start having success. Um like I say, a Lomachenko round round eight it was like a switch inside of Lomachenko just flicked. You know, he started to up the tempo. He put the pressure on Tiafimo. He went from from fully backing up early on in the fight to turning into pure aggression. Um, still, still, again, like I say, he could only earn a draw on my card unless he scored a knockdown. But I, I just thought, is you know, this is this is kind of odd tactics from Lomachenko. Uh, you, you knew at this stage it was going to be a an unmissable end to the fight. Was he perhaps you know looking to, to, to pile on the pressure late and get a stoppage? Was that part of the game plan? It's a risky one. We've seen fighters do it, though, over the years. Round nine, another Lomachenko round. I felt it was a close round, but I just about edged it to him. Um round 10 for me at that point the best round of the fight excellent work from both guys lomachenko was throwing his flashy combinations he was taking big shots off Fimo as well though and it was just it was just amazing to see and i'm sure you'll agree Eddie, the the smart pressure that that lomachenko was applying and 99.9% of boxers struggle to apply what they call that smart pressure um, especially as smart as Lomachenko's pressure, so again I gave him that round as well. So all of a sudden, a six to zero shutout is now six four on my card. Um, round eleven for me, a Lomachenko round. It was it was just a pleasure to watch. Um, it, it, it was dangerous though because he was going at. Um, Tiafimo and at times trading with him you know his jabs were lovely he was popping the head back of Tiafimo like you said all the feints and stuff Tiafimo was looking tired his mouth was wide open his head was getting popped back repeatedly and um, round 12 so again I've got it 6-5 now to Tiafimo round 12 it was a really close round Um, you you kind of feel that if well I felt if, if Lomachenko just started this 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 game plan or whatever, just a round earlier, he could have won the fight. Um, again, you know, I, I felt that the tactics were odd. There was a head clash in that final round that opened the cut on Tia Fimo's right eye. I think, I think, uh, it, 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 it was such a close round, but if I was pushed, I'd have to give it to Tia Fimo. Um, again, both men for me are the number one and number two in the lightweight division. Um, I said it before, Lomachenko, for me, is not a real lightweight. Um, and, yeah, basically, I gave it 7-5 to Teofimo Lopez, which, by the way, most people had on social media. A lot of people had it 7-5. I don't always agree with everyone. We don't always come up with the same, um, not not scorecards round by round, but final scores. And I um, had it, you know, like like the majority of other people that I saw. Um I do want to see Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia take these big fights now, you know, because um, Tia Fimo's proven that he'll do it. Um, I'm not quite sure the status on this franchise champion rubbish. Uh, I'm not sure if Vasily Lomachenko is still a franchise champ. I don't even know how it works now. It's just it's just so confusing because apparently you can't lose the belt and it's just ridiculous. They did give him some kind of belt that said franchise on it, Tiafimo, but I don't know what's going on there. Um... But yeah, like I say, all three judges gave Tia Fimo the first seven rounds. And Julie Lederman actually gave Tia Fimo, uh, the first ten rounds. Um, and I think, yeah, gave Lomachenko the last two, if I'm not mistaken. After the fight took place, Devin Haney took to Twitter and said, and I quote, I've been said Loma was whack. Which, that's just, that's just not right, Eddie. I know you, you think that Lomachenko's certainly not whack no one thinks he's whack. that was a bit silly from uh, from De- from devin haney there and um fifteen minutes before this by the way i looked I looked at his tweets fifteen minutes before he said that Loma is whack he said that tiefemo looked like he was starting to fall apart um and of course also before the fight haney said that um he said on Twitter as well I bet that tonight commentators w- won't dare mention my name but uh, Tia of course, did mention his name in the post-fight interview and he joked about Haney being a two-time email champion. Um, yeah, I, I like Devin, you know, he's a friend of the show, he's been on a couple times, but I need to see him step up. Um, Devin did address the post-fight interview comments with uh, with, with Fimo. He, he, he tweeted him back and said um, Lopez versus Haney 2021, let's do it. So hopefully it does happen, but Yeah, I I said something to a couple people on Twitter. I tweeted something out, Eddie, and just you can tell me in a nutshell. I don't want to be rambling on for too long about this fight, but in a nutshell, my opinion is um, there's people obviously out there that are big fans of Devin Haney and big fans of whoever else, um, Ryan Garcia, for example, whatever. And basically, they, they, of course, start, campaigning, saying, oh, you know, Devin Haney would have would have done the same and all this stuff. I think, like you said, he got hit with a shot early on that made him think twice, made him respect Teofimo more than he thought he had to respect him. He had to be more cautious than he thought he'd had to be before the fight. And I don't think a Devin Haney I mean, I know Devin Haney doesn't hit as hard as Teofima. I don't think, is what I'm saying, that Lomachenko would have that same amount of respect for a Haney, for perhaps a Ryan Garcia, who looks like he can bang, by the way. But, um, you know, I don't think he'd have that same respect for those guys. I don't think the fight would play out the same way. I, you know, I think him against Devin Haney, I, I'd be favoring uh, Lomachenko. That's, that's just me. I don't know how you see it.
1: Well, the way I look at it is, you gotta be special. And I'm not saying these guys aren't. Ryan Garcia looks really good. Obviously Devin Haney's really, really top talent top top one of the top talented guys out there. But like just like I said about Lopez. And remember, this dude was coming off a fourteen month layoff. Not no fight in fourteen months. It's a long time when you're you used to think
2: that. it had been that long. I think it had been about ten months. Well ten, whatever. I think it's Loma, still long I think Loma was coming off fourteen months, if I'm not mistaken. I think
1: no, no, no. That's what I'm talking about? I was talking oh, about Lopez.
2: Okay, sorry, I thought you meant Lopez.
1: He's coming up. No, 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 not Lopez. No, but so he's coming off of that nice, you know, a nice amount of time off. And sometimes it's good for people. Sometimes not. For a guy like him, who's always in the gym and always training, sometimes it's kind of hard to get back, especially getting to a uh, uh, a serious fight like this. And yes, I do agree with what you're saying. Of course, I've already, you know, I've said it. Having having power like Lopez has. Explosive power is a definite weapon, obviously more so than just using it to knock guys out, but also for game planning or for certain situations, like when you have a really, really good guy in front of you, like a great technician in front of you, it makes them, especially when they're smart, like he's smart. He's really boxing smart, like, you know what I mean, on another level, because he knew the amount of time that he had to to fall into that, that had to have Lopez fall into that. In order to be safe enough to go in there and be active and throw combinations. You know what I mean? And he still almost got caught. You know what I'm saying? But if it was to be him and Devin Haney, it would be a different fight. Much different fight. Devin Haney may be that dude. He may be the most one of the most skilled guys out there, blah, blah, blah. And he may be successful. Maybe. But that remains to be seen because he's definitely not going to have the same effect punching power wise in there with uh Lomachenko that that um, Lopez had, so he's gonna have to definitely, definitely bring the skills, and I'm talking about on another level, because this, this dude is like, he's special, man. He really is. I, I, I really respect his game.
2: Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, that is the longest layoff of Lomachenko's entire career, amateur and pro. He, um, he said that. Going into the fight before, um, you know, it wasn't an excuse he he laid back on. It It was something he said before the fight. But anyway, leaving that fight there, we've we've broke it down in, in more ways than one. The final card to mention of the review part took place at the Production Park Studios in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Over here... Um former world champion Paul Butler on the undercard, friend of the show, he's now thirty-two and two. A points win for him over eight rounds against Ryan Walker, who's now eleven and three. Bit of a mismatch really there. Um another friend of the show, former world title challenger Jay Harris, he's now eighteen and one. A unanimous decision win against Marcel Braithwaite, who's nine and three, but so much better than his record suggests. Um Marcel Braithwaite is starting to rapidly become Part of the who-needs-him club, at least in Britain, um, for those lower weights there. He gives everyone a tough fight. Very, very strong guy. A lot of heart. Good work rate. Good power. Um... Yeah, he's a bit of a nightmare, and um, the main event, Michael McKinson, very much knocking on the door for a big, big, big fight at welterweight. He's calling out absolutely everyone. Um, I want to see him, you know, in in some big fights. He's now nineteen and zero, a unanimous decision for him against the previously undefeated thirteen and zero Martin Harkin. Harkin was down in the first round, the second round, and the fifth. But he got back up all three times, and it ended in a unanimous decision, wide in the end, for Michael McKinson. So, yeah, brilliant for him. And he's also a friend of the show, so uh, all three guys on that card that I mentioned, all, all three are the winners, all friends of the show. So I'm pleased about that MTK show there that took place on Sunday. Um, But anyway, that is it for the review part. Just before we bring in our sole guest, it is now time for Eddie's quiz question. So, Eddie, are you ready? (laughs) Yes, sir. I'm ready. Okay, so... So. Which ex-heavyweight world champion was also refereeing fights during his world title reign?
1: I would like to know how many, any, how many people, without having the internet, I would, I would want to, I, I would really, really wonder who would know this damn answer. <laughs> Seriously, this is really, come on, this is a little ridiculous. This is <laughs> what I, what I like best about
2: it is that, you know, perhaps like you know, a guy was a heavyweight world champion he might have retired he's run out of money he's lived the high life he's now living the low life but boxing is still his life somewhat he gets back into the sport as, as you know takes up a role in, in officiating ends up being a referee and it, it could make sense. You could see that happening for certain guys. But this isn't while the guy's broke. This is why while the guy is at the peak of his career, he's still a world champion. But when he's not boxing, he's in the squared circle, in the middle refereeing fights. A heavyweight world champion refereeing fights. Damn, yo!
1: If i if I'm if I'm I'm not even gonna say it because I have no idea to be honest. But I'm. Kind of toying with an idea of something that I kind of remember, but I can't be sure. Oh, I'm not even, you know what, just I I lost this one.
2: Another L. Oh, no. Oh, no. Anyway, this one was from me, by the way. This wasn't sent in from the listeners, but we do need some more sent in from the listeners. So um, send in your quiz questions. Doesn't have to be heavyweight, it would just be better if it were heavyweight. Um, any question, it doesn't even need to be something that's very difficult because we should make them easy for Eddie because he'll be taking L's every week if we continue with this level of difficulty. But send them in at BoxHard. <laughs> Say again, Eddie. Yeah,
1: because this level of difficulty is a little ridiculous.
2: <laughs> I don't know you would know this whole thing Okay, well, yeah, send them in to us on, on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast. But when I tell you this guy's name, Eddie, you're not going to you're not going to say um it's not like well documented i don't think everyone knows but you know this guy it's not like i'm going to pick out this obscure name and say yeah this guy was a heavyweight world champion 170 years ago this is a guy that you absolutely know of um he's dead now um he was he was he was a you know former heavyweight world champion boxed some huge names along the way including a young 22 year old Muhammad Ali. Hmm. Hmm. Damn, a 22
1: year old Muhammad was Ali? Was
2: he 21? He won the title from him. There you go. I'm giving it you on a the plate there. Oh, that's what listen, right? Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston. During his world title reign, refereed. I want to just confirm how many fights he refereed. But um, how crazy is that, though, man? Imagine Sonny Liston refereeing one of your fights.
1: <laughs> I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize that. I don't think I ever did. I don't, I don't think I did. Like that's crazy. Sonny Liston was <laughs> refereeing during his like not his maybe not during his reign. No, during his reign. During,
2: during his reign.
1: Wow, during his reign. Yeah, oh man. my! I mean, that's that's some trivia right there for you ass. See, see, the thing is, though, I'm learning this stuff, Download, downloading information that I'll probably forget next week. But still, you know, I, at least I'm hearing. So maybe somewhere in my mind is there. Well, here's Japan. this. He,
2: he refereed a total of six fights. This is why not many people know about it. He only refereed six fights. Um, his first his first time refereeing a fight was actually Cleveland Williams against Ernie Terrell. Two throwback fighters, obviously, there. Um, and he refereed that, that contest in 1962, in April of 1962. However, he won the world title in the late part of 1962. It was in um, in, in September of 1962. He, he beat Floyd Patterson, knocked him out in a round. Um, so, he wins the... This is brilliant. He wins the heavyweight world title. He's champion of the world on the twenty fifth of September, nineteen sixty two. However, on the twentieth of October, so this is just twenty five days later, he's refereeing. Um, he's refereeing a world title fight at, at, at super welterweight. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? That's that's just that's beautiful, man. So he decided to referee um, on that day there. So twenty-five days after his after his world heavyweight title win, he 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 referees a world title fight. Then three days later he referees another fight. So this is again just twenty-eight days after he becomes world champion. He he referees another Cleveland Williams fight. Um, and then yeah, he went on to referee once more that year um, another fight in, in December of that year then he referees in 1963 in, in May 1963 that was his fifth time referee in a fight so at that point uh, May 1963, still world champion. He hasn't even made his first defence yet. He defends for the first time against Floyd Patterson in July of that year. So yeah, so from actually winning his his heavyweight world title, he 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 referees four fights before he makes his first defence. Uh, he knocks out Floyd Patterson again in the rematch in one round again. Then of course he loses to, to to Muhammad Ali the following year. Then they have a rematch. He loses again to Muhammad Ali, and just to top it off, um, he did referee once more six years later, just the final time in 1969. He um, he refereed the final the final uh, fight. He refereed 1969 in August, and um, after that he did have three more fights before calling it a day in the end in 1970 after he beat Chuck Weppner. So um, that is trivia for you there. If I've never seen it before, that is real, real heavyweight trivia, Eddie. And I didn't have any help there. I absolutely dug that up myself. That is brilliant, eh? <laughs> that
1: was a tough one. That was good.
2: There you go. That was good. It's one and I think I think you're one and are you one and three or one and four now?
1: (laughs) I think I'm one and fucking four. Come on, man! You gotta make these doable.
2: We got. We're gonna do some easy ones, man. We're gonna definitely have to bring you some easy ones. Eddie is asking for your help. If you're a listener listening to me right now, Eddie is asking for your specifically your help. Send in some easy (laughs) questions for him. Help him rake back those wins. His uh, his mm-hmm. quiz his quiz record is way worse than his fight record. He should be getting these right. Anyways, uh, that's it for the review part. That is it for the quiz part. The final thing to do before we wrap up this little piece here is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that's undefeated in 35 fights, a man who, before a spell of inactivity, was world-ranked by the IBF at welterweight. He's back now, though. His next fight takes place at super middleweight against a middleweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Dusty Hernandez-Harrison. Dusty, welcome to the show. It's been a long time, my man. I no, no, I appreciate you having me back. Hey, it's my pleasure. So, Dusty, we, we actually spoke, like I say, almost four and a half years ago. At that time, you were 29 and 0. I think you'd been sparring Canelo for the Amir Khan fight. Yep. Everything was going just yeah. fine. Uh, then we didn't see you in a ring for two and a half years. What kept you out so long, for those that don't know, Dusty? Uh,
0: just just kind of had a little dispute on the, the with my promoters on the, the direction of my career. They wanted one thing, I wanted another. And I just, you know, things just got held up. And, you know, it is what it is. It happens every day in boxing. As much as I want to be mad about it, it's in the past. And, um, you know, look at the opportunity I got now. So everything happens for a reason. And I'm grateful to have this goddamn fight because I've been waiting on a fight like this for a long time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think a lot of fans also. And, again, when we last did, you know, did, did this interview all that time ago, it was on The Week. It was it was a couple of days before I think it was the the Mike Dallas Junior fight, which obviously was a close one. Yeah. Um, what do you kind of recall of that fight now? It seems so long ago.
0: Uh, you know, I um, I just I
2: didn't. You were young as well. You were young or, as well.
0: Yeah, I was young, but I didn't. I, what I what I really fucked up is I was out there with Canelo, which was a great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for nothing. But I I let that get in the way of me focusing on that Mike Dallas fight, and I came home from the fight you know maybe 10 days before the fight and then I went to Barry Hunter and said, "Hey Barry, can you work my corner? I got a fight in 10 days." And he's like, "Shit, uh, come on." And um and you know, I never I never focused on that fight at all. So I I, I shit, I definitely fucked up cuz I for sure lost about five out the first six rounds. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and like I say you're still very young. You're 26 of age at the minute. Um, you you know since you've come back to boxing you've come back after that after that layoff you've knocked out all four of your opponents however, your weight has been a little bit up and down you've been from one fifty nine to one seven five pounds do you know where you're most comfortable boxing at right now weight wise
0: well no that's everybody's <laughs> been making a joke they told me i'm gonna be the first uh the first fighter to uh, uh fight at every weight class and not win the title but no I don't know Um, I I know I'm going to be comfortable at 168 November 27th. That's all
2: I know. And, yeah, let's talk about that. It's been announced, and and I hope I'm – being fair by saying this, I think you're going to agree. It's taken a long time to land you a big fight. You've wanted it. The fans have wanted it. You've you've had a nice-looking record for a long time. It's taken a long time to get a big name in the ring with you. Here it is, Demetrius Andrade. You said the date, November 27th in Hollywood. Um, how do you see this fight playing out, Dusty? Because it's a long time coming, like I say. uh,
0: You know, I just... Nobody's seen me in so long, and I don't think... You know, a lot of people don't even know that I had fights coming back, and whatever, that's cool with me. Um, just a lot of people haven't seen me since the Mike Dow fight, and they just don't know what the fuck to to expect. So I think like, everybody just kind of like ah, and, and they don't know. I just, you know, it's gonna be a big surprise for them. Um, They'll just be surprised that you know I, I am able to hold my own at at a weight like that. Um, and and also too, you know, I'm this is probably sad, not not too good, but I'm I am banking on, on Andre, you know, overlooking overlooking me. And I know how it is. This ain't a fight that he wants. And I know how it is for me. When it ain't a big fight, it is kind of hard to get up for it. And, um, you know, I'm counting on that. But for me, you know, this is the shot of a lifetime. And I'm in the gym uh, a lot, like, you know, a lot. And for, for the first time, you know, you don't got to drag me to the gym at all
2: and and Dusty I know that back when we first spoke you were very much like a a secret in boxing no one really knew where you you know where you were going to end up where the path would lead to obviously you hit a couple bumps in the road promotional promotional wise and stuff like that do you still feel like you're a big secret in boxing no one has really seen anything of what you've really got
0: Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm even more of a secret now, you know, like you said, back then everybody was kind of, you know, what's going to happen to this kid with this big record, and now I, it's been so crazy, Um, you got people, they don't know, they think I'm, did I get old and retired, is he still young, they don't even know what to think about me, so um, if it was a secret back then, I really, uh, I'm a huge one now.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I remember you turned pro, what was it, I think you just turned 17 when you turned pro, no?
0: Yeah, actually, I signed the fight contract when I was 16 and fought a few days after I signed 17.
2: Yeah, so. so you've been going for a long time. Um, yeah, again, some people, I have to say, some people aren't too happy with Andrade's opponent choice here. They feel like he's cherry picking you. Yeah, yeah, no, but go on, go on. You
0: know, of course, I'm not even mad at that because I, I, that I was, I expected that 100% when I was waiting for the fight to get announced. This is not, I'm not the person they wanted. They wanted him to see, uh, I'm not the person they wanted him to fight, and I knew that, you know, unless it was a big name, everybody's going to give him shit, and I don't think that's really fair to him, to my understanding, he has called out the big names, and he has won them, and if he didn't get it, you know, so be it, and then, you know, damn sure nobody can give me shit for saying yes, because this is the opportunity that, you know, us fighters, that we look for, so.
2: And you did take to Twitter and retweet most of these negative tweets. <laughs> you also went on to say that he's he's scared of uh, Liam Williams. Why did you do that, man? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, because like I'm just having fun. You, like I said, you can't. Nobody can break my spirit for this fight, no matter any of that shit they say. I'm, I'm I'm happy and I'm having fun for this whole camp, no matter no matter what the fuck happens in the fight, no matter what happens. I'm I'm having fun, no matter what anybody says. And at the end of the day, I am a boxing fan. You know, I'm not just a fighter. I'm a fan of it. So, you know, being
2: funny. (laughs) I I really love this energy that you've got at the minute, Dusty. And like I say, or like we say, the fight obviously takes place at super middleweight. I was going to ask, where do you feel that your future lies? But I don't think you really know the answer to that right now, which makes it uh, a bit of a pointless question. Am I right in saying you're not quite sure where you're going to be?
0: I mean, shit, if it if it lies at at super middleweight and I and I, and I go great, then so be it. If you after I win, if he wants a rematch at one sixty, then it will be at one sixty. You know, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go wherever.
2: And where do I'll you? I'll figure it out. Where <laughs> do you kind of see the future? Obviously, you're envisioning a win. You, you you'd be absolutely right to, to to believe in that. Where do you kind of see your next move? Do you see the rematch being the only option after that, or does doors open in other directions?
0: I mean, I wouldn't. I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't want to rematch. I mean, unless, uh, uh, I guess, of course, I would if, uh, if if we drop down a weight class and he puts his his, his his belt on the line. Then obviously, I would do that. But if not, then I don't. I just I'd rather move on to another another you know, fight.
2: And my last real question for you now, Dusty, who are you actually with promotionally? You said you had troubles in the past. Who are you with now?
0: Um, his name is Lee Baxter. I don't know how familiar everybody is with. He's from Toronto. He um he has Sam Vargas, you know he helped Sam get those fights. Earl Spence, Danny Garcia, Mir Khan. Um, I believe I'm his first American fighter, and um, shit, he 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 helped me get this fight though. So.
2: Okay, credit to him. And just finally, Dusty, again, you know, we, we interviewed you back then. Uh, you know, we, we introduced you in some ways to a lot of UK fans over here. It's been a long time. You do have supporters over here. It's great that we've done this interview to remind some UK guys of, you know, of, of, of your existence. You've got this big fight. It's being talked about over here. What's your closing words to people from over here that support you and wish you well in this upcoming fight?
0: No, I got a, a, a lot of support from, from, from you guys on, you know, on Twitter. And I don't know if it's because you don't like Andre or you like me, but either way, I appreciate it. And and for sure, I won't let you guys down on uh, November 27th. No matter what, I guarantee I put, I put up a much better fight than anybody's uh, fucking expecting. So.
2: Okay, there we have it. Listen, Dusty, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you again, my man. I'm sorry it's been such a long time, but I wish you the absolute best with this upcoming fight. and I'm sure we'll catch up sometime after, my friend.
0: Right afterwards, November 28th.
2: There you go. God bless you, man. Speak <laughs> soon, brother.
0: I know you too. Okay.
2: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I'm going to start here with um, the fact that on... November 21st, Chris Billam smith will be taking on Dion Juma. That one is for the vacant British Cruiserweight title. That's going to be on the undercard of Alexander Pavetkin versus Dillian White 2. Again, it's going to be on Sky Sports box office. Um, Richard Riakpour decided to vacate his British title. So I'm guessing there's going to be a big fight for him in the near future announced. Um, so he's vacated that. That's on the line there for Billim Smith against Dion Juma. That's a great, great fight, by the way. Um, in other news, Joshua against Kumrat Pulev. Anthony Joshua Pulev has been announced um, officially for December twelfth. We all pretty much knew about the fight happening on that day. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't a secret to be honest. But it is official now. It is taking place. It's going to be on Sky Sports Box Office. Um, I'm not quite sure who they're Kind of going to be putting on the undercard, I don't think, at this stage. But um, it's going to be decent. It's going to be good. It's going to be something to look forward to. It's happening. Um, I don't think they're going to have a crowd at this point. They're hoping to have a couple people in there at least. Um, I'd imagine at least. It's going to be at the O2 Arena in London, Saturday, December the 12th, like I say. Um, so that's finally on. I think Josh Boazzi might be on the undercard. Not sure how his his eye is, actually. And um, I'm sure there's someone else on that card. Um, Lawrence sokoli he's, he's boxing the um, former WBO cruiserweight world champion, the Polish guy. Completely forgot his name. Uh, Usyk beat him, didn't he? When he picked up the WBO uh, cruiserweight title, completely forgot the guy's name now. But anyway, um, cool. that's that's on there. Also, another fight's been announced for November 14th. Um, welterweight. WBO champion Terence Bud Crawford. He defends his title against Britain's very own Kell Brook. That's going to be an interesting fight. I think um, Kell Brook is is really, really um, on the tail end of his career. I'm actually quite surprised... That he's even still going, you know. I'm, I'm surprised he's took this fight. It's a very, very, very tough fight. I don't know how much money he's getting paid. There's still rumours that it's not even going to be on TV over here. He's he's pretty much lost the backing from his his broadcaster, his prior broadcaster, um, Sky Sports. They don't seem to be interested in picking up the fight. So um he doesn't have the TV. His stocks have really gone down. Obviously, he's been hanging around hoping for the Amir Khan fight for years and years. It's never ever happened. It's not going to be happening. And here he is against Terence Crawford who I think is just all too accurate and in form for Kell Brook at this part of his career. If this fight took place with Kell Brook from 4 or 5 years ago, it's a brilliant brilliant fight, but in this, you know, in this day and age in 2020 I think um, he's going to pick Kelbrook Brook apart to be honest and I can see the stoppage coming but I hope I'm wrong. But Terence Crawford since moving up to 147 has knocked everyone out of his face so he's on a devastating run. Um, yeah, Savannah Marshall against Hannah Rankin obviously it was supposed to take place on the weekend just gone. Peter Fury tested positive with coronavirus. That one has been rescheduled um, very very quickly as well. It's been rescheduled for this same month. It's going to be now on October 31st on the undercard of Chisora and Yusik. Again, that's on Sky Sports. Um, really, really pleased for both the ladies there. Um, a chance at the world title after all. And it's only been pushed back in all by two weeks. So that's great, great news for both the ladies involved in that fight. And the final piece of news to mention is that the uh, the Mark Heffron and Denzel Bentley fight, uh, obviously they, they fought a few weeks back. It's been... Um, the 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 rematch has been has been penciled in for November the 13th which is a Friday night um that of course being promoted by Frank Warren but that is it though for the news part of the show moving on to the preview part there's not too much to go over but I'm going to start here at the Gimnasio TV Azteca in Mexico City Mexico free World title fights on this card. It's going to be on the zone. I'm hoping they're showing it on Sky Sports. Not quite sure actually about that. Let's start with the undercard. We've got the undefeated Ofer Jones, the third five and O, no opponent just yet. We've also got Diego Pacheco, nine and O, no opponent just yet. We've got Austin Williams, five and O, no opponent just yet. And moving on now to the free. World title fights. Let's start with the first one here. Julio Cesar Martinez, sixteen and one defending his WBC flyweight world title against Moises Cayeros, who is thirty-three and nine with a draw, a late replacement. Um Can't remember who Martinez was originally supposed to be boxing now, but that's a late replacement there. Also on the card, we've got Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez in search of win number 50. He's 49-2 defending his WBA super flyweight world title against... Um, Superflyweight title against Israel Gonzalez, former opponent of Cal Yafai. That could be quite interesting there. Israel Gonzalez, 25-3. and three. And I believe it's the main event. It's the rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada, 40-3. He puts his WBC World Superflyweight title on the line against Carlos Quadras, who's 39-3 and three with a draw. Obviously, the first fight between the pair was absolutely brilliant. And here is the rematch. It's took place um, a couple years. I think it's been two or three years since the first one, if I'm not mistaken. But first one was great. And if that's anything to go by, this is going to be great also. Um, moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. One fight to mention on the undercard. A guy that I should mention here, Malik Hawkins. He's under the Mayweather Promotions banner. He was supposed to take on Keith Hunter, Mike's little brother. Um, you know, about... A few months ago, now for whatever reason that fight didn't didn't end up happening. He's in a ten a ten rounder here against Subriel Matias, who is fifteen and one. That's going to be a good fight. And the main event for the interim IBF world welterweight title, Sergei Lipanet, sixteen and one, former one forty world champion. He takes on Castillo Clayton over twelve rounds. Castillo Clayton eighteen and oh, a bit of a late replacement, but um, that's a that's a good fight there. And the final fight to mention, this one actually takes place on Monday, but of course by the time we do the show next week, the fight would have taken place. So here it is on the preview part. Um, it's happening on Monday, um, October 26th, in Japan at the Kurokian Hall, the um, the historic venue in Tokyo. Daigo Higa, former world champion, 16-1. and one, Kind of f- uh, fell off the face of the earth, didn't he? He lost to... Um, he lost to Rosales. He lost his world title to Rosales. I think he was about, at the time, I'm sure he was about 14-0 or 15-0 with all knockout wins. And he took on uh, Christopher Rosales. And Christopher Rosales knocked him out and um, you know took his belt. Then, of course, came over here, lost it to Charlie Edwards. Charlie Edwards vacated it. Then Martinez picked it up. You know, that's uh, off the top of my head, by the way. He takes on an undefeated fighter, by the way, um, called Saya. Sutsumi, who is 15, uh, not 15, Jesus Christ 5-0 and with one draw that's over 10 rounds there, but Daigo Higa, since losing to Rosales he disappeared, and he's been gone out the ring for about two years I think he may have had one fight since then, one win since then, but he's looking to get back and um, yeah, he was a great fighter at one point, he had one bad night, and no one's really heard much from him since, but anyway, that is it though for the preview part of the show We did the review part. We did the news. We did Eddie's quiz question, which is always fun. We brought in our sole guest, and we've just done the preview in there. Um, That is everything. I just want to say, Eddie, thanks once again for doing this show with me. You've been my saviour through the lockdown period and beyond. And, um, yeah, it's always a pleasure, man. You know this. And um, just thanks once again.
1: And, yeah, man. It's not a problem, man. I enjoy doing it. You know what I mean? It's like I said, it's more opportunity to, to be able to talk. And you know how I love to talk. So this is uh this is nice. People in the UK get to hear me, people in the States get to hear me. It's great. Thanks, Joe.
2: No problem. And remember you can hit Eddie up on Instagram at fast eddie chambers. Um you can hit him up on Instagram if you want to do One-on-one Skype boxing, not Skype, Zoom boxing lessons. So, um, or Skype. I suppose you can probably do Skype as well, Eddie, no? Damn, that could work. (laughs) You think about that, but yeah. There we go. So, hit him up. Hit him up for good prices and good lessons in boxing. And uh, just good all-round advice. So, hit him up if you're interested in that. But yeah, that's about everything and I'm going to sign out with the outro and uh, just wrap everything up in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 262 of the Box Hard podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the undefeated Big Secret in boxing, Mr. Dusty Hernandez Harrison. The biggest thanks of all, of course, goes out to you, the listeners, for tuning in week after week. There has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Liam Williams has vacated his British middleweight title. It will now Be on the line when Denzel Bentley and Mark Heffron have their rematch on November 13th. Uh, Matrim have announced their residency in the Wembley Arena throughout four upcoming fight nights, starting with. October 31st, um, Chisora Yusick Then, the female triple world title show featuring Katie Taylor on November 14th. Then, on November 21st, Pavekin White 2. And finally, a soon-to-be-announced world title card set for Friday, December 4th. In other news, MTK have announced that they're matching two of their unbeaten prospects together for a fight to take place on December 2nd on the Golden Contract Tournament in Wakefield. Harlem Eubank in one corner he'll be taking on in the other corner daniel egbenike in what i feel will be you know quite an interesting fight that one but that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week